The New York Times did a piece a couple weeks ago called The Rise of the Worker Productivity Score. The Rise of the Worker Productivity Score. Um, and it really kind of told the story of working from home or working remotely. And it also went further to talk about how companies and corporations are monitoring that kind of progress of work while people are not in the office. And some companies have gone so far as to um, ask that they have cameras on that track kind of their activity and their motion. There are apps that kind of track, you know, how much their mouse is moving, how much work they're actually doing on the computer. And it really kind of talked about, like, yes, in some ways, this is a good thing where you can kind of keep track of progress of work, but to the extreme, it began to be a way of um, over-monitoring employees. Um, some ways it didn't accurately report the kind of work that people were doing. For example, if you are writing notes on a piece of paper, your computer can't track that. And so a lot of times people's essential work or relational work even a lot of times were not being accounted for. And people were being um, penalized for that. They were on a point system where if you didn't do a certain amount of things in a certain amount of time, you didn't get the points. And interestingly enough, this article um, detailed how this even affected the workflow of chaplains, believe it or not, um, hospital chaplains and hospice chaplains. So um, Jody Cantor, who was a contributor of this piece, um, she did an interview with a podcast for the New York Times. Um, and I want to quote her what she says here about some chaplains in Minnesota. Quote, chaplains were left with this dilemma of, do I see the patients who I feel in my professional judgment most need to be seen? Or do I see the patients who get the points? And some of them told me it changed the work they did with the dying. It changed who they saw when and how long they spent and the depth with which they could do their work, end quote. Isn't that chilling? That when people are in the last phases of their life transitioning into the next, the chaplains are forced because of the nature of their job to decide who gets their presence, right? This world is really driven by productivity, isn't it? And no matter how much we work, we sometimes end up not feeling as accomplished as we thought we would. And we can be full of work, but not fulfilled. We can be full of work, but not fulfilled. This is the kind of world that we live in. A world that demands so much of us from day to day that is always vying for our attention. And sometimes we fall into the trap of chasing these vapors, right? And it still doesn't satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts and our souls we end up sometimes living empty lives. But there are some people around us in our lives who seem to have this sense of contentment, who seem to have this sense of stability in their identity and who they are. They seem to have this faith that is so robust, right? I can think of one person in my life, um, a friend of a friend, she, every time I met her, she always had this joy about her. We came out of this series talking about it's not just mere happiness, but it's a sense of security in who God is. She was always so interested in you and, and what was going on in your life and was so proud of her family and so dedicated to her faith and her, her church and her faith community. 
But what a lot of people didn't know was that she was really battling sickness. She was battling cancer. And in the face of her illness, she clung to God. In the face of every treatment that she had to go through, she stood strong in God. Now, some people laugh and scoff at this and say, well, why are you going through all this stuff and this God ain't delivering you yet? Why, why are you still doing these things for this being in the sky that you imagine up, right? But I think it actually takes some courage to look your hardships in the face and say, you don't get to define my story. She lost her battle with cancer a few years ago, and I would like to think that she lost the battle of cancer, but she didn't lose the war in her soul. Because from all accounts to her dying day, she remained strong in her faith, knowing that God was good. God has always been good, and God will continue to be good for her and her family. By the way, I, I cannot make this up, and I promise you this is a true story. Her name was Faith. And I cannot think of a more beautiful pairing of name and person. What is it about these kinds of people? Well, what is it about them that we can learn from their lives of how to be fully devoted to following God? We are all now getting back into our regular rhythms after having a fun summer, right? It's fun for some. Um, we're getting back into our normal routines now. School's opening back. Businesses are kind of re-upping for this part of the year, right? And we wanted to start a new series today called Faithful, Fueling Your Faith in a World on Empty. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring five catalysts, five things that we can do to build long-term sustaining faith, the faith that we see in those around us who seem to have this assurance in God. For the next five weeks, we'll be talking, and I'll just go through each week briefly, and I, I really encourage you to lean in during the series. For week one, we're going to be talking about a practical faith. How do we apply what we know about God, about what God calls us to do? The next week, we're going to talk about a personal faith, and how do we share that for the sake of others? We're going to talk about in week three, relational faith, how our faith matters when we talk to one another, when we interact with one another and are in community with one another. Fourth week, we're going to talk about a disciplined faith, how we are transformed through our spiritual habits and practices. And on that last week, we're going to just take a holistic look at what it means to have steadfast faith. How do we lean in and learn to abide in God when life feels like it's upside down? And if we're honest, we're all coming from faith at different angles. Some of us are coming from the standpoint of keeping the faith. Right? We, we know where we stand. Then there are some of us that are, oh, ye of little faith, right? Where we're not sure if we got a full tank right now. We got some questions. And then there are some of us in the room that are like, what faith? So I don't know about this thing it's been represented to me one way, and I don't know if I want to be a part of this. And that's okay. But today I want to lean in and just talk about how, just to set it up for this series, how we can have an unshakable faith. How to have unshakable faith. So I want to begin at my primary text for this morning, Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 to 13. It reads, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, 
Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're going to come back to that part a little bit later. Verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done as you have believed it would. And the servant was healed at that moment. Now, up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, we are in chapter 8, but just before this, Jesus did some talking, a lot of talking. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Up to this point, he's going on and on about these different things and teaching people this new way to live. And then we start to see this pivot here in chapter 8, where Jesus, is, his authority is really starting to be established here. And what's interesting is that his authority is not being established by the powerful. It's not being established by the empire of the time. It's being established by the cry of the needy. Jesus' authority is being established by those who are on the margins and those who are the masses, very much in need. So when we talk about authority, he encounters this other person who he says himself has some authority, the centurion. Now, what is a centurion? A centurion, scholars note, is a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred men, a hundred soldiers under his command. So he knew what it was to have power and to command it. And when he said, jump, they said, how high? And they stayed there until he told them to come down, right? What scholars also note is that this centurion was probably a triple threat in Jesus' time. One, he was a Roman enforcer, so he was in the pocket of the empire, right? He was a foreigner, most likely, if he wasn't raised up under that town to be a Roman soldier. And three, he was a Gentile, so he was not a Jew. He did not understand the Jewish way of living. And so with that in mind, there's no reason that he and Jesus would have had an encounter. There's no reason that they should have crossed paths outside of the centurion trying to keep order. And yet with all this power... The centurion humbles himself in faith before Jesus as he makes his request known. So for the next five weeks, like I said, we're going to be talking about what it means to have a full, rich faith, the five catalysts that can lead us into doing that. But I think we can see these five dimensions that I talked about earlier in the centurion story, and I want to look at that for a second. We can see this practical faith coming out in the centurion. So... Capernaum, this town, kind of became a home for Jesus after a while. And I'm sure this centurion, having been there and worked there, would have heard a little bit about this Jesus. He would have heard a thousand stories of what it was like to be around this man and to know the work and the deeds that he had done and the kind of teachings that he, that he taught. I'm sure he would have heard rumors going around about this guy. 
But what we see in the centurion story is that knowing is not enough. Knowing is not enough. That this centurion knew that he had to actually go looking for Jesus. So the next opportunity when Jesus came into town, the scriptures say, he goes and he asks Jesus. He finds him. He seeks him out. For a lot of us, we know today, and maybe it's some of us, and if I mash your coins, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. A lot of us know Bible from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Revelation. But a lot of us don't know how to read in between the lines of what it means to actually follow God. A lot of people know Bible, can quote verses up and down, but when the rubber meets the road of having to love God with every fiber of their being and to love their neighbor as their self, you can't find it. It's it's a real thing. And people that are not of faith tell us this all the time, right? What does it mean for us to actually put into practice what God is speaking to us? It's going to require some sacrifice from us. Sacrificing our pride and what we thought we knew about God. What we thought we knew about the way that the world works. What we thought about the way that God sees the world. And so when he talks about this, when we see this practical faith coming out in the centurion story, we see that it's actually personal for him. That as he lives it out, this, this is a personal thing for him. And it's not this idea of being personal that it's just mine and I hold it close to my chest. No, he takes it so seriously because he has a personal responsibility to share his faith and to share for the sake of someone else so they can experience what he has experienced. So they can experience the aromas that he has heard and the things that he may have seen. Like the old song says, it only takes a spark to get a fire going, right? To this centurion's core, Jesus meant so much to him that he wanted to save someone else's life. It wasn't about him in that moment. He pushed through maybe his own inadequacies so that his servant could be whole. Chapter 8, verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Like he said earlier, Jesus, I, I'm a man of authority too. He's saying, I, understand, I could see authority when it's coming. Real, recognize real, right? I can see the power that is in you. So just don't, you don't even have to knock on my door. Just say the word, and it's going to happen. I believe that. He knows how authoritative Jesus' words are personally. He took that inward and he, and he internalized that and he had a personal responsibility to share that with others. He wanted that for his servant. But speaking of this servant, why was this servant so important to this man, right? And this is where we start to see this relational aspect come in of faith. Why did this servant matter so much to him? So really when we say servant, it's kind of a softening of it. It really was his slave. Um, because if you were a soldier under the Roman Empire, you could not have a family, scholars note. That you, you, you weren't able to have a wife or children. You had to give your life in service to the crown, right? And what they did tell them, though, was that you could have slaves. You could have slaves that could help you do whatever it is that you needed to do. But you can't have a family in any kind of emotional, relational ties, But what we see happening in the story, based upon how the centurion is talking to Jesus about his slave, his servant, is that this is probably the only family he had. This is probably the closest thing to family that this man had. 
And for some of us, I think we can identify that some people come into our lives for seasons and reasons, yes? Now, some people might use that to kind of be like a me against the world kind of thing. And y'all know how I feel about hater, people who talk about their haters all day long, right? My haters this, my haters that, right? Like, again, if there's something wrong with all of your haters, maybe you need to take a look at you and say, well, why do I have so many haters around me, right? All right, we're not going to go there today. But some people do, right? There's, there's, there's a positive aspect to it. Some people do come into our lives for a season and for a reason. But it's not just so that we can just cut people off and chop them off of our lives, right? It's really so that we can understand that there's this reciprocal nature going on, right? That as I help them, I see the face of God and, as, and vice versa, right? That we begin to see the work of God moving in our lives as we relate to one another. And we may not be in each other's lives forever, but the season that they were in our lives is very important and formative to who we are, right? Faith is meant to be lived out in community. There is no solely individual faith where I could just go in my own little corner, my own little chair, and be happy and blessed with me and mine. Faith is meant to be lived out and expressed because we see in a God who takes on flesh and comes to be with us. We are already in community with God, and God calls us to be in community with one another. But getting there really takes some discipline, right? Getting to this point gets us to a, a point where we understand this really takes some discipline in our lives and in our spiritual practices. And I think, again, we see this coming up in the passage of the centurion story. So Matthew chapter 8, verse 9, he says, he's identifying with Jesus here, "'For I myself am a man under authority.'" with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes, and I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he knew what it was to have discipline because he was a soldier. He knew that you had to be in order and make sure that things were right and you followed the right steps. He, he was a man of order and authority. And I think he had enough discipline in this moment to humble himself, right? And to me, it feels almost like he waited on Jesus, right? That it wasn't just overnight that he decided, oh, this Jesus guy's coming into town. Let me take. He probably was waiting for Jesus to come into town for so long. And he said, I'm just going to wait on Jesus. I'm going to do what I can here in this moment. I'm going to wait on him. Such faith, as Jesus says, does not come overnight. It comes through the consistent practices day in and day out. And I think sometimes we lack discipline because of this pace of life, again, that we're always trying to achieve and get to this next benchmark and that benchmark and that benchmark. And then sometimes we edge God out, right? Seeking immediate results also in our faith is not a sustainable way to live. It's through the constant, ongoing practices of walking with God that we begin to see God revealed in new and fresh ways. Frederick Nietzsche he was a German philosopher. He said this in one of his works, Beyond Good and Evil. Quote, The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. Let's sit with that for a second. I'll read it one more time. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction, there thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth 
living. Nietzsche is saying, just keep going. Be faithful in the road that you are taking. It may not be easy. It may not always be paved in the way that you like, but stay the course. Keep your eyes fixed. Keep going in the, as long as you can in the same direction for us as people of faith toward the face of God. And this is, friends, what leads us to this steadfast faith, that it brings us to this place of security and so the hymn says, blessed assurance that Jesus is ours, right? The centurion shows us that what we believe will be tested in this life, right? As one of my friends likes to say, life be life in. Life just does whatever it decides it wants to do, right? But spiritual practices for us is not just when we're at the peaks or when we're at the lows in our valleys, but it's to sustain us through every moment of life, every season that we go through. They help us to show up for ourselves and for others. As the hymn writer said, through all the changing scenes of life, in trouble and in joy, the praises of my God shall still my heart and tongue employ. What does it mean to have a steadfast faith and to keep going in this obedience in the same direction of following God, even though life throws a lot of things at us? So as I begin to wind this down, I think about the word faith. You would have thought I probably would have started with opening with a definition with it, but no, I'm not going to do that. Um, the word faith, I think, is such a loaded term sometimes. Like some people hear faith and they hear it's a system or it's this religious dogma, right? Or it's the set of rules that you have to follow. And then there are other people that hear the word faith and think that it's all about right belief. And it's all about perfection and attaining, getting to this point of attaining perfection in God, right? Of, of being perfect one day and saying, God, look how perfect I am. I did everything you asked me to do. I checked all the boxes, right? And then some see faith as this talisman, this object that we hold, and we can conjure God up to do whatever it is that we want God to do in our lives. That we can just say to God, God, now listen, I prayed. I've been praying for this. TikTok, right? You said if I did this and did that, it's a transaction, right? But this is where I want to come back to that part I told you about in the original passage, Matthew chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. And I want to read this from the message version because Eugene Peterson really pulls out the beautiful meaning in this. Taken aback, Jesus said, I have yet to come across this kind of simple trust in Israel, the very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works. This man, the centurion, is the vanguard of many outsiders who will soon be coming from all directions, streaming in from the east and pouring in from the west, sitting down at the God's kingdom banquet alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then those who grew up in the faith, quote-unquote, but had no faith, will find themselves outside in the cold, outsiders to grace, wondering what happened. Jesus is saying, for y'all who think y'all got it, you don't. The moment you think you got control and you can manipulate God is the moment you have lost it all together. Because see, God never asked us for perfection. 
And God never agreed to be our magic genie or our fairy godmother to give us all of our wishes, right? But God did promise God's presence. And what more could you ask for? So as I'm closing, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So whether you are full, whether you are empty, whether you have all things, whether you have nothing, God is with you. And we can press on with full hearts, believing that God will be who God promised to be. So as we come into this time of prayer, I just want you to still yourself wherever you are and just place your hands on your lap and close your eyes. It's like this posture of receiving. And today, I want you to think of someone. I want you to think of someone who introduced you to faith. Maybe someone who had a great impact on your faith. Someone who helped you grow in your faith in a significant way. I just want you to Picture them for a moment. And then I want you to think about someone else in your life. Someone else in your life who you can be a centurion for. Maybe it's a person that's had a hard month, a hard year, a hard life. Maybe the person who might be doubting themselves as a child of God. Maybe the person that you see yourself in just needs that word of hope. I want you to hold those two people in your mind at this moment. Thank you, God for these faithful ones who have been in our lives through every season. May we channel this kind of faithfulness so that others may come to know your goodness, your faithfulness.